Our scripture this morning is from 1 Corinthians, as we're continuing in 1 Corinthians, chapter 3, verses 18. Got it? 18 through the end of the chapter. Let's stand as we read God's word. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning, Westgate Church. What a beautiful morning. It was great to uh, look out and see the sun uh, glimmering on the water and be reminded of uh, this world that is beautiful, made by a good creator, and uh, we are part of that creation, how good it is uh, to be part of creation of a good God like this. Uh, we've considered uh, two elements so far from 1 Corinthians 1 through 3, of two elements that can keep a church united in the midst of pastoral transition. Uh, the first message, uh, we considered the foundation of our unity, which is the message of the cross. And we never outgrow this foundation. It is the cross of Christ uh, that unifies us, that we are unified in the problem of our sin, and we are unified in the solution that Christ brings. And then the second message, we considered uh, God's perspective on leadership and the nature of the church. That when we are unified in our expectations of what leaders are to be and what the church is to be about, uh, then we can move forward during a time of pastoral transition unified and we have a common expectation of what the church is to be about and what the function is for leaders in Christ church. And lastly today, I want us to consider the role of wisdom as it applies to a time of pastoral transition. Wisdom is needed to discern the path forward. And we need wisdom from God if we're to be unified in walking this path. And wisdom um, fills the pages of scripture that call for wisdom. And in the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians, we see, we see time and time again, Paul calling the church to godly wisdom, not human wisdom. At least 15 times already in the first three chapters, uh, Paul references godly wisdom. Um, and he wants the church to be unified in godly wisdom. And one of the problems is they had turned from the early days of their foundation and the message of the cross and being unified in that foundation and receiving wisdom from God to really a cultural wisdom. And a lot of the wisdom of the culture had permeated the church and was affecting their relationships with one another. And as a result, they were divided. And so you see Paul again and again remind them that worldly wisdom is different than godly wisdom. Worldly wisdom brings division. Godly wisdom brings unity. And uh, I want us to consider today three things in particular. What is godly wisdom? Why is godly wisdom so important, especially to unity? And then how can we get godly wisdom? 
All right, three things. What is it? Why is it so important? And how can we get it? So first of all, what is God's wisdom? Well, uh, let me first start by saying what it's not. All right, two things that God's wisdom is not. First of all, godly wisdom is not the same thing as knowledge. It's not the same thing as knowledge. Uh, you'll see at the beginning of uh, this letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, Paul commends the church for their knowledge. Um, he says here, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So this is a church that really has gained a lot of spiritual knowledge. They, they know the word. Apollos was there teaching them well from the scriptures. Um, and, and They know a lot. So they have knowledge. Yet we see Paul still telling them that they're not functioning with godly wisdom. So spiritual knowledge is not the same thing as godly wisdom. Now we can gain knowledge in a lot of ways. We can gain knowledge by reading. Uh, we can gain knowledge through a lot of teaching. We can gain knowledge through experience, the school of hard knocks, right? There's lots of ways to gain knowledge. And knowledge is a good thing, a necessary thing. I'm not trying to downplay it here, but you can have all kinds of knowledge and still make stupid decisions, right? Sometimes the smartest people seem to do the dumbest things. Knowledge is not the same thing as wisdom. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, Paul goes on to say that knowledge can puff us up, but it's love that builds up the church. The knowledge can actually have uh, an inflation of our pride, right? We become very prideful about what we know, and then it leads to division because we are comparing ourselves with those who know less than us. So knowledge can actually puff up, but it's love that builds up the church. So wisdom is not the same thing as knowledge. Secondly, wisdom is not the same thing as moral goodness. Wisdom is not the same thing as moral goodness, uh, knowing right from wrong. Now, wisdom is not less than moral goodness, all right? As you go through Corinthians, Paul actually calls this church to task um, because they are not living out uh, right behavior. Um, God's laws are being violated by this church in some egregious ways, and Paul calls them to task for that. So wisdom's not less than moral goodness, but it's more than moral goodness. Um, you can know right from wrong, but still be unwise in your application of it. The Pharisees were very good in knowing God's law, in knowing right from wrong, but in their application of it, they became proud, they became divisive, and we see Jesus condemn them. That simply knowing right from wrong is not the same thing as wisdom. What Paul is talking about in Corinthians is about a lot more than just knowing the rules. So let's get on to what wisdom actually is. Uh, wisdom is knowing and discerning what to do even when we don't have a rule. Wisdom is knowing and discerning what God wants us to do even when we don't necessarily have a rule to tell us. Uh, scenarios like this. Should I go to college? If so, which one? Um, we're not going to find in the scriptures the answer to that question. But yet God's wisdom can guide us. Or, or maybe, um, should I marry? 
And who should I marry? Uh, again, you're going to find some guidance about the kind of person you should marry, but not a name and a face in the scriptures. Uh, wisdom guides us into that decision. Or how about this one? Our pastor was called to another church. Who should we call as our next pastor? Again, some guidance in the text, but not a name in the scriptures. Wisdom leads us in these kind of decisions. And if we don't have godly wisdom, then we go wrong and become divided in the process. Godly wisdom leads us to unity and leads us towards God's best. So wisdom is knowing and discerning what God wants us to do, even when we don't have a rule to tell us. So why is this kind of wisdom so important? Why is godly wisdom so important, especially to our unity? Um, Corinthians and the scriptures are filled with the answer to this. We're only going to focus on a few elements here. But we see in Corinthians, first of all, that God's wisdom is how we are saved in the first place. That God's wisdom is foundational to our unity because it is God's wisdom that even allows us to come into the family of God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. And see what Paul says here about God's wisdom being the basis of our salvation. He says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Now this can be a little confusing because Paul often says there's God's wisdom, but then in the same breath uses the word wisdom to reference human wisdom. So you have to always discern, is he talking about godly wisdom or human wisdom? So he's saying in the wisdom of God, in godly wisdom, the world did not know God through human wisdom. He's saying no one thinks their way into salvation. Salvation isn't for smart people who get it, while the rest of us don't. And so we can't be proud about coming into God's family and look down on others as, why won't you get this? When will you finally come to your senses? Because it is God who imparts his wisdom to us that allows us to understand who Jesus Christ is and allows us to see the depths of our sin and our need for a Savior. Which is why in Matthew 16, 17, when Peter makes his great confession, Jesus asks him, you know, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And what does Jesus say back to him? Blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter, you didn't think your way into this. You know, don't be proud about this confession. You know, Jesus is going to build his church through the teaching of the apostles, but it wasn't because the apostles were so smart and so great that God opened their eyes to who Jesus was and allowed them to believe. So God's wisdom doesn't produce arrogance. Human wisdom does. Human wisdom produces arrogance. Godly wisdom produces humility. So godly wisdom is essential to unity because it results in humility, not arrogance. So first of all, God's wisdom is how we are saved. And secondly, God's wisdom is how we grow. God's wisdom is not just for getting us into the family. It's for growing us up in the family. I'll look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. Paul says, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. 
But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before ages for our glory. He says, uh, we do impart a, a godly kind of wisdom to those who are in Christ, to those who are looking to grow. There, there is wisdom to grow us up. He says, a secret and hidden wisdom of God. It, it's a, a mystery, not in the sense that we can't figure it out, but that we would not know it apart from his revelation. That God is helping us to know him better and to grow us up in him. Now, this kind of thought process runs through a lot of Paul's teaching. In Philippians 2.5, he instructs the Christians, he instructs us, have this mind among yourselves, and he says, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The mind of Christ, the way that Christ sees reality, Christ's thoughts. He says, have this worldview among yourselves. Then he says this, it, it's yours. In Christ Jesus, it's yours. So for Christians, we are learning to have the mind of Christ guide our lives. That we see our families, we see our work, we see our entertainment, all the way that Christ would see those things. The mind of Christ becomes our worldview. That's godly wisdom that we all need. And as we grow up in godly wisdom, we are conformed to the image of Christ. Now, Paul goes on in Philippians 2 to say the mind of Christ when it's played out, looks like a servant. That Christ came, he, he did not think equality with God, something to cling to, but he gives this up and comes and he serves us, therefore God elevates him. And we follow that same path. We already talked about this, the wisdom of taking up our cross. That the pattern that Jesus set for us is the pattern of the cross. We, we serve others. Christian maturity is about having the mind of Christ, which leads us to serve, which results in unity. Unity, a product of us serving one another. I think this is an answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17, you know, where the night before he dies, he prays that we would be one, even as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. See, this is why unity is so foundational, because we are made in the image of a triune God, a God who from all eternity past has lived in community. So we aren't created because God is lonely. We're created out of the love of God. And life is meant to be lived unified because God is unified. And so God is calling us, saving us into this unity with himself and within his church. So godly wisdom results, us, results in us having the mind of Christ among us. Third reason why godly wisdom is so important to our unity in the church is that God's wisdom is how we discern what God wants us to do. Now, uh, this is, is true both individually, but also corporately. Uh, the scriptures tell us that Jesus is our good shepherd, and the good shepherd leads the sheep. That the church is not simply a human organization where the smartest or the strongest get to set their agenda, and we follow their agenda. The church is listening to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. The church is led by Christ who is the head. And so we're listening to Christ and to how he is directing his church. Now, I love reading through Acts because you see this in, in, in very uh, uh, specific ways, how Christ was leading the church even though he was not physically present. They're still expecting Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit to be guiding them. Let me give you a couple examples. 
in Acts chapter 13, which I love the story of the Antioch church. It's a beautiful example of a very diverse church coming together for local mission, and then in vibrant worship, they hear from the Lord, and they go on to regional mission. Really, the, the church planting around the Mediterranean area came out of the Antioch church. So in Acts 13, verses 2 to 3, it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So the, this church planting movement comes out of the Antioch church, not because they were um, making this their strategy, because Paul came in and said, I got an idea. The church is worshiping together, and they sense together from the Lord, this is what God is directing this church to do. And it was a costly step. Uh, Paul and Barnabas were two of the best leaders in this church. Um, this church was already growing. There was a lot of uh, spiritual, vibrant life taking place. I'm sure they thought, man, there's plenty to do right here. <laughs> we, we could use Paul and Barnabas you know, for our work here. But God's saying, send them. And so they obeyed. And the church sends Paul and Barnabas for the beginning of new works. Uh, the Holy Spirit giving the church the mind of Christ directing them in what to do. We see another example in Acts 15 where a, a problem had arisen. As the gospel went uh, farther and farther out, we begin to see the big questions between the Jews and the Gentiles. And one of the big questions was about circumcision. Um, do we need to follow this Old Testament practice? And so they brought this question back to the council in Jerusalem. And they considered it and prayed about it. And then here's the answer back. And he, listen to how they describe it in Acts 15, 25 through 28. They said, It has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and to send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. And they go on to give the, the, uh, the, the teaching. But it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a beautiful statement? That as this church considered, what does God want us to do? They really had a sense from the Lord that the Spirit was, was saying, this is the correct decision. And they agreed with that decision. So we see the Holy Spirit giving wisdom, the mind of Christ, to the church so they can know what to do in these very specific ways. Sending out Christian workers, making decisions around divisive topics. God's wisdom coming to his church. And I'm convinced that that's not just for the book of Acts. That's for us today too. As we go through all of the decisions we have to make in our local churches, God wants to give his church unity in direction, a common sense of where he is leading. But without godly wisdom, we are stuck only with worldly wisdom to make these decisions, trying to discern what is best by worldly standards. And friends, that happens all the time. That too often, spiritual decisions can be made by worldly means. And God calls his church to come to him and receive from him the wisdom we need. So, big question. How do we get it? If it's so important, if God's offering it to us, how do we get the wisdom that we need to be able to make good and wise decisions that are unified? 
Let's come back now to our key text for the day. I know I've gone a little far afield here in chapter 2. Let's drill down on verses uh, 18 through 23 of chapter 3. Paul begins this section by simply saying, let no one deceive himself. Let no one deceive himself. Now, he says that because we do deceive ourselves. So he wouldn't say it if we don't. But we do deceive ourselves. Matter of fact, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 counsels us about this very thing. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. That phrase there, do not lean on your own understanding. This is part of what it means to be a sinful human being. We think we're right about life. And quite often, we're wrong. We all have a sense of what is right and what is good. We define for ourselves what is right, what is good. It started with the first sin. Adam and Eve, looking at the fruit, it looked good to the eye. It seemed like a good thing, but God said it was not. God can't be right. I think my understanding is right. We all have this wrong way of looking at life, making ourselves the standards for what is right and what is good. And so Paul counsels us, let no one deceive himself. So here's the first principle of gaining God's wisdom. To gain God's wisdom, we must first distrust our own wisdom. It's wise to realize that we're wrong sometimes. There's a wisdom to realizing I'm not right about everything in life. And here's the scary thing. I don't even know what I'm wrong about. Now, there's two reasons why it's so wise to distrust our own wisdom. First of all, it's because we are created beings. We're not the creator. I was thinking about this this morning as I was watching the sunrise, and I did nothing to cause the sun rising. And I'm looking at the beauty of the world around me. I did nothing to bring this into being. I am part of this wonderful world. I am creation, not creator. God is the designer, the architect of all of life. He understands how life works. Uh, My understanding is so small of the known universe. So God looks at everything in life, us human beings included, and his church in particular, and God knows best how things work because he made everything. And so we should distrust our own wisdom, first of all, because we're creation, not creator. We need to trust the designer. But the second reason we need to distrust our own sense of what's right and what's wrong is that not only are we created beings, we are corrupted beings. That God made us good. Um, We turned. We turned from a reliance on him for what is right and what is good. And the result was not just, oh, we made a mistake. The result was a corrupting that took place. The scriptures describe this result as being that our minds became darkened. That we don't think right. We just don't think right about relationships, about what is right and what is good in this world. Our minds have become darkened. And so we should distrust our own sense of what is right and good because we're created and we're corrupted. So here's the application for a church in the midst of pastoral transition. As you consider where God is leading your church, how you should go through the transition process, who should be the next pastor. I think everyone needs to begin with this thought in mind. My thought about how this process should go might be wrong. 
My thought might be wrong. Now, God will give wisdom to us as we come to him humbly. And so we first begin from a humble posture saying, I might be wrong about what is best. We come open-handed to God. So first principle for receiving God's wisdom is to learn to distrust our own sense of what is right and good. The second principle is to gain God's wisdom by not only distrusting our sense of what is right and good, but also distrusting our culture's sense of what is right and what is good. Paul says here, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. If anyone thinks he is wise in this age by worldly standards, if anyone has accumulated degrees and lots of experience and thinks based on those he knows what to do, let him then not trust on those things that this world reveres. He says, let him become a, a fool. That doesn't mean not to have gained any sense of wisdom from worldly sources. What that means is that don't trust in worldly sources. Be willing to be a fool by worldly standards to receive the wisdom of God. Um, Paul gives a very specific example of what that looks like where he goes on to say, let no one boast in men. Let no one boast in men. In Corinth, this was considered wise. That people looked to certain human leaders for a sense of their identity and a sense of their security. Whether it was the wisdom of a lecturer, whether it was a human ruler, um, people found their identity and their security in human leaders. And if you hitched your wagon to the right person, that was wise. I don't think it's just in Corinth that that happened. I think it's common for humanity that we think it is wise to boast in human leaders, whether it is celebrities, you know, maybe it's, you know, saying, I wish I could take a, a road trip with Tom Brady, you know. I, I digress. All right. That one's okay. All right. It might be politicians, that we tend to look to politicians for a sense of our identity. You know, I, I, I track with this candidate, and it's more than I just want to vote for them because I think their policies are decent, um, but there's a sense of identity that comes from following that human leader. I'm with this person, not that person, or maybe it's a pastor or a theologian or an author. You know, I, I, I define myself based on their teaching. We should look to human leaders but not base our identity and our security on human leaders. That worldly wisdom is bound to fail. Psalms 146 verses 3 to 5 says, Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground, and on that very day their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. Boasting in men is a foolish, worldly way of thinking and living. But finding our identity and our security in Christ is wisdom. It's wisdom. So this is the, la is, is the next thing we must do here. We're to distrust our own sense of right and wrong. We're to distrust our culture's sense of what is right and good. And then we must know how secure we are in Christ. If we're going to receive wisdom from God, we must first know how secure we are in Christ. Uh, what Paul says here, 
um, if we really meditate on it, it is staggering how grand his statement is. He says, let no one boast in men, and then he gives a reason why. For all things are yours. Don't find your identity and your security in human leaders, and here's why. All things are yours already. He says, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. I mean, what a huge statement. Don't find your identity, don't find your security in human leaders because you've already got everything anyway. He says, you don't need to belong to them. They belong to you. God's given those human leaders to you for the church's benefit. But he's the source. God is the source. He's our, our identity is found in him. Our security is found in him. And then we receive gifts from him. But this is what idolatrous hearts do, is we start looking to the gifts more than the giver. And whenever we look to the gift more than the giver, we find ourselves out of line with God's intentions. Well, how can Paul say, all things are ours? Sure doesn't seem to be that way. <laughs> he finishes up by saying, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. All things are ours only because if you've come to trust in Christ, you belong to him. And see, Jesus Christ is the rightful ruler of everything. He is Lord. That's what we sing, that's what we confess. He is Lord. Jesus is the rightful ruler of the whole universe. For he made everything, and he has redeemed everything. He is over all. And if we have put our faith in Christ, we're, we're called co-heirs with Christ. That what Christ, in, the inheritance of Christ is shared with us. I think one of our biggest problems in decision-making is we don't have a clue how much is ours already, how safe we are, how secure we are as God's people. And I find this to be true, that most bad decisions are made out of fear. When we're afraid, when we're, we're nervous that something will be taken away or be lost, we begin to make self-protected decisions rather than decisions that advance the cause of Christ. All things are ours in Christ Jesus. We sang it this morning about nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing. The world, life, death, the present, the future. And why? Because we are Christ. See, when we distrust our wisdom, kind of distrust our culture's wisdom, and then realize how secure we are in Christ, the natural outgrowth of that is we just come to him and ask. Why wouldn't we ask wisdom from a God who says, if you lack it, come to me, I want to give it. That's what James tells us. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him come to God and ask. God doesn't begrudge our asking, and he will give it without finding fault. That God wants to give his church the wisdom that we need, and so we should come to him. So Westgate Church, in the days ahead, I pray that you will not be trusting in your own wisdom. Um, there will be differences of opinion in your church about the direction the church should go. That is normal. It's even good. The differences create opportunity for maturing, for growth. There's a sharpening effect when different opinions come together, but there's still unity. So don't be surprised at the different opinions, but also don't put all your stock in one opinion over the other. Also, don't put your trust in human leaders, whether it's past leaders of the church, present leaders, future leaders. Look to them, but also recognize 
who they are. Servants, not the Savior. There's one Lord of the church. And put your trust in Him, in Jesus, who Paul calls wisdom itself. Wisdom itself. Jesus became to us wisdom from God. I love this more than anything in this teaching in 1 Corinthians. That wisdom more than anything is a person, not just a concept. And we know this person, Jesus Christ. And so when we come to God asking for his wisdom, he doesn't just give us thoughts, he gives us himself. That the Holy Spirit comes and guides us and directs the church in how to live together in unity. And that's my prayer for you all in the season of head. And I look forward, uh, maybe a year from now, celebrating how God has guided you in this past year. I don't know what he's going to guide you in, but I trust those, those decisions are good. I invite you to stand with me. I'm going to close some prayer and then some more singing. Lord God, we come to you and uh, we recognize uh, that you are Lord of the church, you alone. Now, only you have shed your blood so that we could be called sons and daughters of the Most High. So Lord, I pray your blessing on Westgate Church now. I pray that you would fill this church with a great sense of your presence, that they would know how secure they are because of your promise. God, I pray that you would fill them with your wisdom, that the mind of Christ uh, would rule and reign in this church. God, I pray that in the days ahead, as they consider some uh, difficult questions about uh, the transition process and who should be the next pastor, God, I pray that you would give them great love for one another in the process, and I pray that you would lead them clearly through this process. And we look forward, Lord, to how you are going to guide this church into the future you have in store. So I pray your blessing on them now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.